it is so easy when you're living somewhere to just look at the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, to always be sort of looking at what other people have and thinking what they have is better. And the truth is that most of the time, it's not better, it's not worse, it's just different. And so you need to focus on what actually you want and what's most important for you in regards to what you're looking for in a home. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. Welcome to Imprint. I'm very excited to have you join me today because we're going to talk about why you should love where you live. Now, when there are so many places in the world to call home, where should you decide where you're going to live? What is going to help you make that decision? I know that this is a topic of conversation that comes up a lot for friends, family, people I know, and I'm sure that you have had these thoughts too about, should you stay where you're currently living? Is this the right place for you? Is this the right place for your family? Or should you move somewhere else? Should you move somewhere nearby that maybe is a little bit different? Should you change environments altogether and move somewhere quite different, such as a tree change or a sea change? Should you maybe even move countries? These are some of the questions that come up a lot. And I know even when I was living in the city, I would hear friends, you know, should we move out to the suburbs because they were living in the inner city and they wanted more space? Or should we move to somewhere that's got a garden? So many of these questions. So we're going to look at how you can make a decision that feels good for you, and also just learn to love where you live right now. So this whole question came up for me. I want to share um, my experience recently because you might really resonate with it too, was that recently we, um, we got the opportunity to, well, we were actually dog sitting. So I wasn't, I was going to say house sitting, but we weren't asked to look after somebody's house. We were asked to look after somebody's dog. Well, we kind of volunteered because there's a whole other story related to that, which I'm not going to get into now. But we um, decided that we were going to look after a friend's dog who was going overseas for um, more than a month. And so it was a significant period of time. And during that time, we thought, well, maybe this is actually a really good opportunity to, to stay in their house in the village of Bangalore, which is just near to where we live. So we live literally a seven minute drive from Bangalore and we're on a two acre country property. Before we moved to this region, we were considering, you know, do we um, move on to some land? Do we move into one of the, the little villages or towns in the area? Do we move into Byron itself? And looking at all the different options. And we settled on a two acre plot of land. And there were various reasons for that. We had been living on a bigger plot of land and we really loved living in a country environment and the space and the freedom that the children had. And we wanted that, but we didn't want as much responsibility as what we had with our previous block of land. 
So two acres seemed really great. We have a beautiful view. We've got lots of space. The house is big enough. Many of the houses in town or the villages are much smaller. And because we've got four children and we work from home, we wanted a space that could at least have four bedrooms with an option for an at-home office because we work from home. So they were some of like the really big criteria that we were looking at when we were buying our place. However, over time, we have questioned, well, should we move into, into Bangalore? Should we move into one of the, the other more populated areas? Because our children, <clears throat> excuse me, they, they catch the school bus. We're you know, always driving them into Bangalore to go and get the bus, driving them backwards and forwards. You know, if we want to, if we've got play dates, like our children getting older and they're more interested in having more freedom. So this is a question that we've been asking ourselves a lot recently. And to have the opportunity to stay in someone's home in Bangalore, it was too much of a good opportunity to pass up. And so we thought, hey, you know, let's road test this idea. We don't have to buy a place. Let's just stay there and and see how we go and see what we like about it. So, um it was really, it was a very fascinating experience, the whole exercise, because it made me realize that wherever you live, there are pros and cons of both. And I know that that sounds kind of obvious, but it is so easy when you're living somewhere to just look at, you know, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, you know, to always be sort of looking at what other people have and thinking what they have is better. And the truth is that most of the time, it's not better, it's not worse, it's just different. And so you need to focus on what actually you want and what's most important for you in regards to, you know, what you're looking for in a home. So I'm just going to run through some of the challenges that you might be facing and how I can share. I'm just going to share some strategies that might help you to really love where you live right now, or at least sort of get a better understanding of what it is that you do want in a place. So some of the common challenges that kind of come around when it comes to um, deciding where you're going to live is obviously the location, the place. It, it might be a city, a country, the suburbs, a beach. Um, some of the factors that you're probably going to look at is, is it close to work? Is it close to school? Or is it close to where you unwind? These are all the different criteria that come into the equation. You know, how much time do you want to spend commuting? Well, for some people, they want to minimize that as much as possible because that's something that they do every day. So they would rather compromise on the size of the home or other elements of the home because they want to save that time on the commute. However, there is another way, which is that you can actually go, you know what, I'm just going to accept the commute, but when I get home, I'm going to feel like I'm on holiday. And actually, one of my previous bosses, this is what she used to do. She lived um, well over an hour out of the city. It was probably closer to an hour and a half. And she did that commute every single day. And she did it because when she got home, she felt like she was on holiday and it was a really beautiful location. She had amazing views and an outlook. And so that was, that was her priority to sort of have that experience on the, you know, when she got home and particularly, I think on a Friday night, then she would feel like, you know, she had the whole weekend at this sort of 
very much felt like a beachside location, but it wasn't like a touristy location. It was just a beautiful beach location. So these are some of the, the questions that come about. And I certainly remember when we were living in the city, lots of people were sort of making that decision. You know, they were living in those inner city suburbs of Sydney. And then it sort of people started to go just a little bit further out, not very far out, but probably within, you know, if the traffic was, if there was no traffic, it was probably like a 20 minute drive to the city. But with traffic, obviously in a city, it can be a 40 minute easily kind of commute. So, or public transport or however you're doing that. So that was always a big question. And, and of course, some people really then think, well, you know, do I, particularly now, now that you can pretty much run a business from anywhere in the world, um, you know, you don't always have to be tethered to a city as much as what you used to have to. It was that question of, you know, do I want to go and live in the country? Do I want to go and live by the beach somewhere? Um, schooling is, is often a big question that comes up as well in terms of, I know certainly we had many friends who chose to live in particular areas because of the schools. And actually, to be quite honest, that was a key factor for us in our past home when we, we lived on the hinterland of the central coast because there was a Steiner school on the central coast and we really wanted to um, enroll our children into a, a Steiner school. And, um, and then when we actually moved to this, our current area in the Byron Bay region, we, um, again, we wanted to go to another Steiner school and there are two in this region. So that was a huge factor in actually deciding to live here. Um, school, you know, is a big one for many, many people. Now, another big, you know, factor that comes into deciding where you live is, is the size of your home, the size of your property, where you live. Now, this can be whether you live in an apartment versus a house. Again, you know, we started out on our journey and the first place that I bought was an apartment in Bondi Beach. It was a tiny, it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was about 50 square meters, um, two bedroom apartment in Bondi Beach. And um, many people start with apartments because they're generally more affordable than buying a house. And, um, but there comes a point again, and that's what we had was, we had our second child and it just wasn't feasible really anymore. I mean, well, as I will share, you know, I mean, look, you can make anything work, but we decided that it was more important for us to have a bit more space than what we currently had. And even if we went to, I, I still think we probably would have needed to have gone to a bigger apartment, even if we didn't go to a house. We actually upsized to a terrace, but it was still actually a very small terrace. But, um, I mean, it was, became down to this question of like, we were renting and we moved into one that my husband had bought previously. And so we could make improvements to that space. Whereas obviously when you're renting, it can be trickier to make some of those sort of structural improvements. So that was our journey going from an apartment to a house. But, you know, some people it's, do you go from a single story to a double story house or if you're on land, do you want to, what size land? Are you going to go for one acre, two acres, multiple acres? And even how many bedrooms? Again, this was a question with our current house was we really wanted to find somewhere that had four bedrooms because we've got four children and um, we work from home. So we wanted to ideally have minimum four bedrooms. And I saw so many gorgeous little farmhouse cottages and 
in this area in particular, many of those cottages, they only have two bedrooms, maximum three. And it just would be a very tight squeeze, particularly given that we, you know, we both work from home to sort of be in a space that was that small. And interestingly enough, many of those very small places are actually on very big um, parcel sizes. So they're on like crazy things like 97 acres. And it's, I mean, there was no way that we wanted land of that size. But, you know, you might be thinking about how many bedrooms do you want or how many bathrooms, depending on the number of people that live in your home. And then the third, well, where are we up to? One, two, yeah, the third sort of big factor that um, you, you tend to really need to consider when it comes to choosing where you're going to live is the features of the house. Now, this might relate to the aspect, the light that you get. For me, that has always been a number one priority ever since I worked at magazines and I realized how important light is to creating a beautiful home. I've always prioritize that the house has to have a northerly aspect. Um, the flooring, you know, what type of flooring do you want in your home? Timber, tiles. Again, for me, I thought I just want to buy a home that's already got timber, uh, timber flooring. I don't want to go to the expense or the effort of replacing tiles with timber. And then um, windows. Again, for me, timber was really important. I didn't want to have a home with aluminium windows. That was something that I prioritized in my space. But you know, these are the things that I value and what you value might be different. So, you know, have a think about like, what are the things that you actually really value in a home? Maybe you haven't even considered that, you know, what is the things that you actually consider in terms of the features of the home? I always have a checklist of the things that are most important to me. And those elements are always on that list, every single home that I have um, bought. So that's been really important. And then you have, you know, there's some of the basic things. And then what happens as we're sort of learning with our family is then your children grow. And so <laughs> what I mean by this is that what your requirements are when you've got young children starts to get very different as they get older. And this has started to show up in various ways over the past couple of years. Our son, our eldest son, is 14 now. And over the past year or so, he has asked us many times if we can move into town or, you know, somewhere where he's not as reliant on us to drive him places. So basically at the moment, for anything, he is very much reliant on us driving him places. Now, when the children were very young, it was beautiful. We didn't have to drive anywhere. Our children could just play on our property. They had each other. They, you know, had so many games that they would play and they would always be creating things and we've got a workshop and they were always making things and they still do do that to to some extent but um I mean my eldest son still spends quite a bit of time in the workshop making things but you know now that space around the property is not as important as what it was when they were younger and now also not only does it relate to their kind of social life and their friends becoming more important to them and wanting to spend time with their friends. But our son has recently got a job as well. And so that has now thrown another thing into the equation. I mean, he was starting to play soccer, so we were having to drive him backwards and forwards for training. Now he's got a job, so there's going to be even more driving. And as you can see, this was sort of part of the reason why we were starting to think, you know, 
is this really where we should continue to live for this next sort of chapter in our life with our children because their needs are changing and um yeah and they sort of getting older and more independent and so when we went to stay at our friends I mean some of the benefits were that the children walked to the bus stop by themselves they um, were playing with some of the children in the street they would go down to the sports field and play soccer down there and um it was really it was quite a different experience and what we learned from it was that if we're being really honest and both my husband and I said this was we thought we're not actually sure if we're ready to let them go like it was it was very much like we were letting go of control over them which sounds like a sort of to have control of your child sounds like a bad thing you know like as in your um you know you're sort of dictating to them what you know what they should be like but at the same time and I do believe as a parent our roles are that you know we need to hold our children and we need to for them to feel safe and secure and protect them and nurture them and and obviously the longer we can kind of keep them in the nest I you know this is what I'm kind of going through at the moment but I do think that that is something that both my husband and I value now everyone's different and you might have a completely different perspective on this and and I completely understand it can relate to your life circumstances as well perhaps you have a partner that goes away for work a lot certainly lots of people in this region um they have one of the partners usually the husband who travels away for work and so the mother is you know here by herself and and so being around other people can be very important or if you're a single parent you might want to have that um closeness to your neighbors so that they can keep an eye on your children if you have to work you know there's so many different situations where we have to really tap into what's most important to us and what is our situation but as i said it, it really opened my eyes this situation to think you know what it's actually you know there's a flip side to that yes we can give them more freedom yes i mean in all honesty if we were to move into bangalore it would make our lives so much easier but is that actually what we want do we actually want to make our lives easier or do we want to make our lives better and right now i do feel that for us we prefer to to really hold our children for as long as we can rather than you know just making it convenient for ourselves because it's you know it's not that much of an inconvenience i mean yes there's driving involved it's only 7 minutes each way it's not the worst thing in the world but obviously it could be so much easier if we were living in town and there were other factors that came into this experience of staying in someone else's home and i'll i'll touch on those in a moment but i just want you to think about in terms of where you live that you know you can still love it and there are there's an opportunity for you to really change the way you think about your circumstances and your home and also rethink your spaces and and how you configure them and help them work for you and get creative and and how you can simplify so that you can really focus on what you value and how you spend your time so like i said i just want you to think about like what's right now when you sort of if you're questioning where you live what's your biggest challenge what's the thing that's the thing that you're kind of discussing a lot perhaps with your partner or it's going over your mind you know what's your biggest challenge 
And then I want to share some ideas that I hope you're going to find helpful and will really resonate with you in terms of a different approach to the way that you can think about it. So the first of these ideas is relates to mindfulness and and to really be present with what you have right now and to not live somewhere else in your mind. So I love this um there's a there's a quote in the book by Ernest Hemingway the sun also rises and um it's something like along the lines of wherever you are wherever you are there you are is in you are always wherever you want to be it's like like this idea of um Alain de Botton um he wrote in his book um the one about travel i think it's called the art of travel perhaps and he said that you can go on holidays but you still take yourself with you and so often we can think that you know when i go on holidays everything will be magical or when i live somewhere else all of my problems will be solved or when i lose weight you know i'm miraculously going to become this other person well the truth is that the results that you want in your life actually happen when you decide to make them happen so when you decide to become that person and i've spoken about this idea idea of identity before but it's it's so important that you know you actually decide who you're going to be and how you're going to live because all of those things in terms of like if you're unhappy with your situation right now something else is not necessarily going to miraculously fix it what you have to fix is the way that you think about it you have to fix your mind the way you're thinking about your problem and your approach to it because you can if you're just say for instance if you're arguing with your partner and you go on holiday you know you think okay well we'll go on holiday together well if you don't change the way you think about each other you're still going to be fighting on holiday like that <laughs> you know that's kind of can happen you know that people so often think that they're going to fix a problem by moving to a different location or by um <clears throat> signing up to a gym well you don't actually fix the problem by doing that thing how you fix the problem is by making a commitment to actually decide that you're going to do that and also then making a commitment to follow through on it so really sort of managing your mind in relation to where you live and how you live is so important and the second thing is that you really need to practice gratitude and i know that this word gets used a lot and but it really is so key and i write about both of these ideas mindfulness and gratitude in my book still because again i was sort of investigating this idea of how can we live more sustainably how can we live um more simply and and it really is about appreciating what you have right now and when you do that you actually start to see more evidence for that this relates to your reticular activating system in your brain which you know it's like this red car syndrome when you when you have a red car you suddenly start to see all the red cars or at the moment i drive it like a little mini so whenever i drive and if i see a mini i always notice them i mean my children play spotto in the car i don't know if your kids do this and so they're always looking for the yellow cars and all the, i never ever knew there were yellow cars until my children started to play this game and they do it almost all the time every time we get into the car 
And now, even when I'm driving, I notice the yellow cars and I kind of mentally say in my head, spotter, <laughs> I'm so used to like noticing the yellow cars. And the same thing happens if you're always looking or noticing the things that you don't like about your home, then you will keep seeing evidence of that. And likewise, if you keep noticing the things that you think someone else has benefit, then you will keep focusing on that. So if I keep focusing on the fact that we need to drive our son to soccer and to now his work and to, you know, see his friends or do those things. If I focus on that, then I'm going to begrudge that because that's all I'm going to be thinking about. But I could instead focus on, and this is what happened is that after staying at our friend's place, we came back here and it was like, oh, we've got so much space. Isn't this beautiful? Oh, look at this beautiful view. Like they had things that, you know, I love their kitchen. And I came back to our kitchen and, you know, it's, it's fine. It was actually much better than what, you know, but when I'm living in it, I start to begrudge it because there are things that I want to change about it. But it's, you know, you can have a new appreciation for your home when you've been away. And I actually saw all the things that we really loved about our home when we were here and um, the, yeah, the sense of space and, you know, there were so many things that I just it really made me and gave me clarity about, you know, appreciating what we have. And then the third thing I just want to touch on is that you can be resourceful with your home and you can make the most of what you've got. I did share in an earlier episode about different ways that you can make the most of your home, even if, you know, if you're not going to renovate or you don't have the budget or the time to renovate right now. And I will put a link to it in the show notes. And I'm just looking up for you which episode number it is, because I've actually had a lot of people write to me about that. It's episode 78, which is why you might not need to renovate 25 easy ideas to try first. And these are things that I've done in my own home. So you can put those ideas into practice. But I'm just going to touch on a few things that come up in relation to this idea of location about where you live. And the first is that, um, you know, for some of you, you might think, well, I've got no space and you're really struggling with your space in terms of where you live. And you think I want to live somewhere that's got more rooms or it's bigger or whatever that might be. And, um, and so my answer to that would be, well, make sure that you simplify first, simplify before you start looking at other places, because you can move. And this happens all the time is that people move homes. And they take all their stuff with them and they intend to unpack it and they have a room full of boxes of all this stuff. So if that's you, if you've got more stuff than you actually need, then I really encourage you to simplify first. And um, and that was something that I realized was actually when I go to other people's homes, it it often makes me realize how simply we live in terms of the, the amount of things that we have in our home. Um, you know, I have like, I have got, um, two different swimming costumes and that's it. You know, I've got in terms of my underwear, like I've only got, you know, very, just what I need, like in terms of my pajamas or, you know, my clothing, like I don't have a lot of stuff and we don't have a lot of stuff in relation to, um, you know, various products or homewares around our home either. So simplify, if you don't have space, simplify first. Now, you might think, well, we don't have a garden or our garden is not very big. Well, 
If you've got no garden at all, you can join a community garden. We actually had a beautiful community garden when we were living in Darlington in Sydney. And um, it was just at the end of our street. And it was it was great. And we used to go in there with the kids all the time. And they had sugar snap peas and flowers and um, herbs and all sorts of things. So, I mean, of course, you can have window gardens. There's, there's so many different solutions. And just because, and this is coming from someone who's on two, two acres, just because you have a big garden, you know, there are, there's pros and cons of that too. I mean, it takes my husband at least three hours to mow the lawn and in, and then he's got to probably spend another one to two hours of whippersnipping. And in, you know, when it's sort of the summer period, when it's not raining, um, you know, he needs to do that every single week. That is a lot of time. Now, obviously not all of you are necessarily going to want to have that much, but with that sort of, it's like that saying, like with extra privilege comes responsibility. The same is true with, you know, with extra features comes responsibility. With a bigger house comes more responsibility, becomes more work. With a bigger garden becomes more responsibility. So, you know, you don't always need to have bigger. Bigger is not always better. So think of a way like, what can you do with what you've got right now? And maybe you can actually just really appreciate what you've got right now and do that really well rather than having a massive garden that requires a huge amount of work. And, and maybe that's actually not what you really want. You think you want it, but you don't really want it. Another thing is that you might think, well, I want to live, you know, I wish I lived closer to the beach or I wish I lived closer to the countryside or well, whatever that is for you. And, um, you know, I would suggest that just make that part of your regular rhythm of going there on weekends or, you know, book in regular holidays, regular getaways so that you can have that experience and it can be immersive and it can be really something that you appreciate while you're there. And, you know, so many people can live close to the beach and they just completely take it for granted. So, you know, just because you don't live close to it doesn't mean to say that you can't experience it. And maybe you will actually get more value out of it than someone who lives there regularly. I mean, we used to, when we lived in the hinterland of the central coast, we often would go to the beach on the weekend. We would go to Fatonga and have, um, we would go there on a Sunday afternoon because there was no one there. We would go and get fish and chips and it was, it was wonderful. We loved it so much and we really appreciated it because we couldn't go there every day because it, you know, it wasn't close by. And similarly, um, we would go to, um, gosh, I can't think of the name of the dam. There was a dam that we would, something like Warangamba, but it's not that. Anyway, it was a dam on the central coast and we would go there. The kids would love because it was this sand dune and they would go down there on their boogie boards and I would bake a frittata. We would take it with us and we'd have dinner there. Like, you know, you can make it much more of an experience sometimes when you don't live by so that you really get the most value out of it. So I hope that these ideas have, you know, helped you to rethink your spaces and how you can appreciate them, how you can connect with them, how you can rethink them. So as I said, you know, I, I've spoken about how you can be mindful and just be mindful about what you're wishing for and um, how you really need to sort of live the way that you want where you are right now. Don't think that by moving you're going to solve your problem. You need to sort of really be present with who you are right now. Be grateful for what you've got. 
and also, you know, get resourceful in terms of making the most of what you've got. So I want you to think about what's been most helpful for you today. What what idea has really, you know, helped shift the way that you think about some of these ideas? Because like I said, I do think it is a way of thinking that we can get caught up in thinking a particular way. And um, I will touch on before we go, um, like I said, you know, I had this experience of staying in someone else's house and, and I really felt that at the end of that time, it just really made me realize that no matter where you live, there are pros and cons and there really isn't a place that is, you know, perfect or, um, you know, everything is, is as good as what you might expect it to be. We can project, project so much onto a space in terms of, you know, what we think it's going to be. So just be mindful of that as well. And, um, yeah. And as I said, I just, before, before we go, I just, I would love for you to, to, you know, think about what you can rethink about your spaces and how you love where you live. And I will also, at the end of this episode, I'm going to read an excerpt from my new book, which is Home by the Sea, The Surf Shacks and Hinterland Hideaways of Byron Bay. So I hope that you enjoy that. And um, if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review, share with someone that might enjoy it. And also, you know, anyone that's been having, you've been having those conversations about where you should live and should we move out of the city? Should we um, move to a different location? You know, they might find this helpful too. Also love when you connect with me on Instagram and share what you've enjoyed and sharing screenshots. So thank you so much. And I'll sign off for now and I look forward to connecting with you again next week. And in the meantime, I hope you enjoy hearing an excerpt from my new book, Home by the Sea. Love where you live. When there are so many beautiful places to live in the world, what's the ongoing appeal of Byron Bay? Although it's a small town on the east coast of Australia, its name is known to many across the globe, and it has also become one of Australia's most popular places to visit and live. Perhaps it's because there is something beautiful that can happen when you create a home in Byron Bay. The idea of where you live expands. It becomes less about inhabiting a building and more about being part of a greater environment and a wider community. It doesn't matter if you live in town or the hinterland, there's a constant sense of connection to nature, from the country lanes that lead to the coast and the undeveloped beaches that stretch wide to the homes that can hear or see rumbling whales, waves or rolling hills. There is an endless array of places to discover, swimming holes, waterfalls, creeks, lakes and lagoons, walking trails, forests and national parks. However, a significant proportion of the population tailor their lives to spend as much time as possible in the surf. Ask any local what makes this place special and inevitably you will hear the answer, community. But what does that really mean? In part, it is the benefits of living in a small surf town or sleepy hinterland village. Children can roam freely, friends are like extended family, business owners become part of your network, 
And then there are all the little acts of kindness and goodwill that are a part of daily life, such as neighbours sharing produce and shop owners buying each other's wares. It reveals itself in the roadside stalls with honesty boxes, community curbside libraries and village halls that host weekly pizza nights. When you live in a small community, everyone is connected in some way. Status doesn't work the same way it does in the city. When your children go to the same school and you shop at the same grocery store or market or are out on the waves, there is little place for ego. Life is better when the focus is on common ground and the greater good. Simply put, locals are happy to be here and grateful to call this place home. Living in Byron is generally a choice. People don't have to move here for a job or school. More likely, they have tried to find work so that they can stay or created their own. In part, this explains how Byron Bay has become the birthplace of many brands that have attained significant success on a global stage. The town is a hub of creativity and entrepreneurship in many fields, from food to fashion, interiors and design, and locals support locals, as evidenced by the wares on display in the pages of this book. As with so much of life here, the creation of homes developed in response to the climate and the availability of resources. For many years, houses were traditional cottages for the local farming community, beach cottages built in the 1950s and 60s when longboard surfers migrated to the region, or timber treehouse structures built during the 1970s when alternative communities formed in the hills. Regardless of the structure, maximising airflow remains key. Keeping cool in the long, hot summers and dry during the subtropical storms. Similarly, furnishing homes has always been a matter of necessity. When this area was still a series of small beach towns or hamlets in the hills, furniture was made, bartered, traded, or bought secondhand. To this day, there are still many exchanges made between creatives and brands. It is a circular economy of goodwill that helps maintain the good vibes. But while the beaches might be the initial drawcard, there is some other magic at play that keeps the locals grounded and nourished, and it begins in the hinterland. The stunning surrounds were shaped by the remnant core of a volcano, which formed the ranges that have a major impact on the area's weather systems, as well as producing the fertile soil that feeds the region. There's a farmer's market almost every day of the week. It is known to the local Bunjalung people as Wollumbum, fighting chief of the mountains, a sacred site. When British explorer James Cook took safe anchorage at Cape Byron in 1770, he named the remarkable sharp-peaked mountain on the horizon Mount Warning. Being able to see the mountain range from the surf at the pass and from some of the other white beaches that line the coast is one of the unique topographical features of the area. Byron Bay and its surrounds are not just breathtaking in their beauty, but also mythical. They have been home to the Arakal people of the Bunjilung nation for more than 20,000 years. Nathung is the all-seeing creator. His resting place is Nathunguli and known as Julian Rocks, an important habitat for the diversity of marine life, such as the sea turtle. Also often seen in the surf is the dolphin, totem of the Arakul women, who believe that once they leave the land, 
their spirits return to the dolphins. When you see these graceful sea creatures off the coast, you know you're watching the ancestors of the Oracle women gliding through the water. The men's totem is the sea eagle, and you can often observe him gliding around the cliffs hunting for fish. The totem of the people is the carpet snake, which can be found throughout the region at the beaches and in the hinterland. Totems are sacred and central to their way of life. Cavanbar, as Byron Bay was originally called, has always been a place to come together and share abundance and knowledge. Traditionally, it's an Im important meeting place for visiting Bundjalung people to gather for important ceremonies and share the abundance of the mullet run each winter. These large gatherings enable the trading of cultural resources, stories, songs, and dances. However, after European settlement, as the renamed Byron Bay grew, the local Aboriginal people weren't allowed in town, and they were moved on. They settled along the Tallow Beach area so they could remain on their homelands. Arakul Bunjalung woman Delta K is a descendant of the people, including her grandparents, who lived at Tallow Creek. After a period of living in Melbourne, she returned home to be here with her family. Byron Bay is her home, physically and spiritually. It is an honour that she shares her story in the pages of this book. Creating a home is in a large part related to how we connect to our environment, community and history. There have been waves of migration since European settlement in the late 1880s, from the cedar cutters to the whalers and the arrival of surfers and a counterculture that has mostly managed to keep rampant de development at bay. There are many here who have fought long and hard to keep the Byron region the special place that it is. We are wise to remember the protesters, the peacemakers, and the passionate creatives who have helped shape this culture and community. Without the natural environment, this area is a shell of itself. Without the diverse community, the region loses its unique character. The intention of this book is to get to the heart of what it means to create a home in the Byron Bay area, encompassing not only the beachside suburbs, but the villages in the hinterland, each of which has its own character. On the following pages are stories of people who have lived here their whole lives and those who are newer arrivals. But with each account, it is a respect for this land, for the original people, and for preserving the spirit of this place that we are fortunate enough to call home. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint.